Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. This is UFC fighter Jason Sago. You are now listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Each episode, we feature the biggest names in martial arts and combat sports from the UFC, Bellator, and the Olympics, as well as martial arts legends, pioneers, and cinema stars, as we share best practices and philosophies using martial arts as a metaphor for perseverance through life's challenges, for the pursuit of personal excellence, and for victory in competition. Over the next hour, I will feature my interviews with UFC bantamweight fighter Patrick Williams, with former world kickboxing and boxing champion, as well as former world taekwondo champion Fridia Gibbs, and with action cinema actor, fight choreographer, and weapons expert Anthony DeLongis. Martial Arts World Radio connects with audiences through distinctive and compelling guests and content across radio, online, and mobile platforms. If you would like to add your station to our network or if you would like to advertise on the show and sponsor our Celebrity Fighter interviews, reach out to me at producer at mawradio.com. This week's inspirational quote is from Ricks and Gracie and goes as follows. A brave man, a real fighter, is not measured by how many times he falls, but how many times he stands up. Rickson Gracie, Brazilian 8th degree black and red belt, and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and retired mixed martial artist. Today's interviews are brought to you by Kayani independent distributor, Daniel Gerage. Kayani is a leading provider of all-natural health and wellness products that provide athletes with faster post-training recovery and energy. Endorsed by professional fighters and celebrity martial artists Josh Tyler, Manny Pacquiao, and Jackie Chan, Reach out to Daniel for more info at Australia at gmail.com. Don't let the Australia throw you. He does business all over the world. That's Australia at gmail.com or Skype Daniel at the exact same address on Skype. Kayani, K-Y-A-N-I, Australia at gmail.com. Our interviews are also brought to you by ketone specialist Regan Bremersch. Keto OS is leading a modern health revolution through therapeutic ketone technology. Mix this great natural 100% bioidentical ketone powder into a 16-ounce bottle of cold water for a great-tasting drink for peak performance. Within 15 to 30 minutes, you'll be in the optimal training and fight state of ketosis. He doesn't just say it can do it, he can prove it. For more information, contact Regan at 1204-522-0700. Three, three. Again, you can text or phone Regan at 1204-522-0733 or visit proveittoday.ca. That's proveit, P-R-U-V-I-T, number 2, D-A-Y, dot C-A. Patrick Williams is a bantamweight fighter in the UFC. With a record of 8 wins and 5 losses, he is 35 years of age, 5 foot 8 inches, 135 pounds, and fights out of Homestead, Florida. Patrick emphasizes that his training sessions always begin and end with mental conditioning. Speaking to us from Homestead, Florida, Patrick Williams. Patrick, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Patrick, walk us through when you got the initial call from the UFC offering you your first fight. How did that go down? Boy, that that first call, um, for me, it was unexpected. I was thinking that I was going to have to do three or four more fights. I just came off of a spectacular win over, over, um, uh, a black belt from American top team. And I remember I couldn't get a fight for six months and I was lazy and ended up not training 
so for I've, I've been off the off the mat, wasn't training for six months, and all of a sudden my my agent calls me out of nowhere, and they ask me. Well, they tell me first. I was like, "Hey, we have some some news, and um, some good news and bad news. The good news is, um, we got you a fight for the UFC." So in my head, I'm thinking, "What could what type of bad news can there be from that?" That's right. And they told me uh, it was in two and a half weeks, and it's at 135 pounds. Oh boy! So. That was a big surprise for me. I, I had to pretty much jump on the scale from that point on and, and get my weight off. I was almost 170 pounds, not training for six months. And uh, that was pretty much my preparation. Patrick, how is fighting in the UFC different from fighting in other promotional fight promotion organizations? It's, it's the difference between going to elementary and going to a huge university. It's it's totally different. The the amount of people that's there, the way the promotion is ran, it's it's top notch. And I mean, you must be encountering all sorts of people, Dana White and other fighters that you've been watching up until now. Maybe even some fighters that have been inspirations for you. There must be times where you're in absolute awe. Yes, there's definitely times where I'm in awe. But um, right now, I'm at, I'm at the point where everything is kind of settled in, and now I'm looking at focusing my energy and my time on making people become in awe of me when they see me, trying to be that diamond in the sport. Well said, well said. Now, I do have to ask, I'd like you to share two experiences with us. One of them is the bad news, one of them is the good news. So let's get the bad news out of the way first. Walk us through the experience of getting knocked out by a flying knee. That was Chris Beal, UFC 172. Just, could you walk us through that a little bit? Okay. All right. This is a little history class. Um, well, the, the that fight, um, from the beginning of the fight, it was kind of hectic. I didn't get my gloves on until minutes before I went out. Didn't get to warm up. I had the jitters. Like I said, I previously didn't train for six months. Sure. So when I walked out there, um, went out there, everything went smooth. I was trying to, to, to get the feel of the, the match. Okay. Took him down real easily, took him down again, and at the end of the first round, he pushed off of my head, and his fingers went knuckles deep in my eyes. And from that point, I was the match kind of switched for me. I was pretty much running away because I couldn't see. I was blind in both of my eyes, and... And that right there, I think, was probably more brutal than a knockout because I, to me in my head, I was thinking, you know, I finally make it to the UFC and I'm on the big stage and I can't see. Sure. So I go back to my corner and I, I tell my coach, hey, what's wrong with my eyes? I can't see. I guess because of the adrenaline, I wasn't paying attention. So I remember going out in the second round and I remember stooping down because I couldn't see him. It was like looking underwater. And I was waiting to grab him so I can take him to the ground and, and try to finish the fight there. And he, and I guess as he I touched as he touched my arms, I moved my head in and he he placed a uh, perfectly timed flying knee. And it just gave me a quick flash knockout. As soon as I landed, I woke up. I knew what happened. But um, it was it was bittersweet. But I made sure that my next fight I was going to be more than prepared. Exactly. And you won a TKO decision over Sebastian Angel in which you broke his jaw. Tell us a little bit about that victory. Yeah, that was a crazy fight. Um, I remember I, they couldn't find an opponent, and they ended up finding someone that's been training. Um, I think he was like two weight classes up, and he was just huge. And I remember my coaches looking over and was asking me, you know, you think this we should do this? This guy is, like, huge. But I went ahead and uh, I, I believed in my skills. I went out there and just my movement and fluidity was hard for him to keep up with. And I believe I caught him with a knee that uh, dropped him. And I think his his jaw was broken in early on in the, in the fight. But as we were going, I remember the 10-second uh, belt, the 10-second um, knock go off. And I just followed him down and, and kicked him straight to the jaw. So 
between the knee and the kick, I, I don't know which which strike uh, uh, broke his jaw. Patrick, at what age did you get into martial arts? You know, I've always been a big a big uh, believer in becoming a ninja. I guess all those all, all the kids when they're younger, you know, they want to be a ninja. Sure. Being growing up in the eighties, you know, watching Bruce Lee. They were always my idol. I always looked up to them. So I was always trying to train and become faster, stronger, cat-like abilities. So uh, I think that that right there planted the seeds to uh, to me becoming uh, who I am today. And tell us about Arizona State University. Uh, big school, party school, number one. Uh, Number one party school in the nation at the time I went there. Uh, what degree did you get? What's that? What degree did you get? I ended up getting a sociology and a family studies degree. Um, I wrestled there as well, B1. Uh, ended up placing for nationals two times. I wrestled with uh, C.B. Dalloway, Ryan Bader, Kane Velasquez, also Clifford Starks. Uh, Aaron Simpson, who was my coach. Tom Ortiz, who was my coach as well. Um, and just a whole list of other top athletes, John Moraga. And um, after, after I graduated, I seen these guys, you know, performing well in, in, in uh, mixed martial arts. So I figured that uh, I can come and get my piece of the pie in, the, in this sport as well. Sociology, I find that very interesting. Family studies. Why family studies? Well, coming coming from a a home where you know family is always important, but you always see those family struggles, and then growing up, knowing that I made it, and seeing a lot of other troubled youths that that um, that end up in gangs, uh, drug abuse, and veering off the path of life, I, I figured I can somewhat give something back to them, maybe share my story or. Or have something to maybe one day turn a troubled youth into a future UFC star. Now you said other troubled youths. Were you a troubled youth? No, my, my grandma did well at, at raising me. Um, I was raised by my grandma. Um, she did a good job. You know, from her, I seen her. I I, uh, I grew up and took witness to her hard work and dedication. And that kind of helped me stay on the, the right path. Patrick, why were you raised by your grandma? Well, at a young age, my mom, she she had her little problems going through life. And um, I, I actually, I had a problem as well. When I was a, when I was a baby, I was, for some reason, the doctors couldn't find a way to have me keep calories in. Okay. And the doctors pretty much said that was going to be it for me. That there is nothing else they can do. They formulated a lot of uh, formulas, so I can um, so I can gain weight, but none of it worked. So my father, um, he ended up giving me to my grandmother, and she's Jamaican, mm-hmm. um, and I was raised by her, and she fattened me up real nice. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Your grandmother sounds like an amazing woman. Uh, she was great. Do you Hard still working immigrant? A hard-working immigrant. Yep. Do you still have a relationship with your parents? I see my my relationship got better with my mom as I, I got I've gotten older, and my uh, my father, I speak to him every now and then. Right now he's in Jamaica. Um, been planning a trip to go to go see him and do some uh, fatherly bonding with him as well, father son bonding. And did you have any siblings, or were you an only child? My mom had 10, 10 kids. I was number two in line. And my dad had five. Very, very interesting. And do you think this contributed to your choice of a degree when you decided to take sociology and family studies? Maybe subliminally. subliminally mm-hmm. It may have. Um, but um, I'm all about helping out and, and, and trying to, to bring out the best in everyone. 
Patrick, what's your relationship like with your siblings? Do you keep in touch with these other ten siblings or the, these other nine sh- children in the family? Well, actually, this year, two months ago, I've, I've met one of my brothers that I've never met before. Um, it was great. It was an amazing uh, moment. Um, and hopefully soon I'll unite with all my uh, with a couple of my other brothers that I have yet to see. And at Arizona State University, you wrestled with Clifford Starks. Clifford Starks has been a guest on this show, another UFC fighter. Yep. Cliff the big red dog. Great guy. Amazing guy. He is an amazing guy. Patrick, who has been your toughest opponent to date in your fight career? Oh, that's a good question. I think my toughest opponent has been myself, um, Losing a couple of uh, fights where where I felt I shouldn't have lost. As far as toughest fight, I believe all my fights were kind of were somewhat easy. They ended up like like one fight I, I ended up getting knocked out. Uh, one I ended up getting choked, but they mm-hmm. were more from my mistakes. Sure. So it's it's hard to say. Does a UFC fighter have much time for a social life? Well, I'm beginning one myself. Um, I'm actually um, going to be working soon and uh, fighting, trying to do, trying to juggle both, and juggle being a father and uh, my social life as well. Uh, congratulations on being a father. So, what are your future plans? What are your hopes and dreams and your your goals? Well, right now, in the short term, it's uh, it's to heal up and. Hopefully get back into Octagon as soon as possible. I'm looking at towards the beginning of uh, 2017. I I really want to make 2017 my year. I I have a lot to show the the fans. And I'm here to, I'm ready to convince them to spend their hard-earned cash to come come watch me display my arts. And I look forward on dominating at hopefully multiple weight classes. Um, right now I'm shooting for 125 and uh, 135. If that goes well, uh, I'll shoot up to 145 and 155. Patrick, our final question for you for this evening. It, it always goes by very, very quickly. But before we bring our interview to a close, any advice for our listeners who have hopes to one day fight in the UFC? Biggest advice I can give you is keep believing in um, your art. Go in the gym every day, find, um, go through all of your stuff with a fine-tuned comb, uh, a fine-tooth comb, and sharpen up on your skills and continue continually to believe that you have what it takes. And eventually, one day, you're going to break through. If it's not today, it'll be tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, it'll be next year. And uh, surrounding yourself with positive people, uh, positive people in the gym that's going to help you strive to become the best and and watch a lot of film. Patrick, we must bring this interview to a close. I appreciate your time today, and I'm grateful for your insights. All the best to you, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Patrick's favorite grappling technique is the guillotine, and his favorite strike is the flying knee. He has gone on record that fighting in the UFC is a life-changing opportunity for both himself and and his daughters. This has been an interview with UFC fighter Patrick Williams. Hi, my name is Kung Lee. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Kwok. I have a few items for you to check out online. Check out BobWallWorldBlackBelt.com, the world's foremost online martial arts and MMA marketplace. Also, check out Prospect Fighting Championships at ProspectFights.com. Lastly, Google the books The Tao, T-A-O, The Tao of MMA, and 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts. Both books are available at Amazon by searching The Tao of MMA and 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts. Our interview with former world champion Fridia Gibbs is brought to you by Kayani Independent Distributor Daniel Jarej. Kayani is a leading provider of all-natural health and wellness products that provide athletes with faster post-training recovery and energy. Endorsed by professional fighters and celebrity martial artists, Josh Tyler 
Manny Pacquiao, and Jackie Chan. Reach out to Daniel for more info at Australia at gmail.com or Skype Daniel at that exact same address on Skype, Kyani, K-Y-A-N-I, Kyani Health Australia at gmail.com. Fridia the Cheetah Gibbs, born July 8, 1963, is the first African-American female kickboxing champion. She earned the name The Most Dangerous Woman in the World after an all-time upset in 1994 with her fight against Valerie Hennen. Gibbs went on to become one of the most dominant champions of her time and remains a significant historical figure in lightweight kickboxing history. She is a former Muay Thai kickboxer, a three-time world champion in kickboxing, a three-time former world Taekwondo champion, and a professional boxer who competed from 1991 to 2005. She fought in the lightweight division out of North Hollywood, California. She is 5 foot 7 inches, 135 pounds. Fridia, what a privilege for us to welcome you to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on the show. How are you? I'm well. We're excited to have you on this show. Now, Fridia, tell us about your fight with Valerie Henning. About that fight with Valerie Henning. That's a good one. Yeah, Valerie Henning, she's from France, and she was considered the most dangerous woman in the world. She was coming to America to do her American debut, and she wanted to fight the toughest woman in Northern America, and uh, they found me. We fought on pay-per-view in front of about 1 or 2.5 million people. Uh, obviously, I was the underdog, and uh, I knocked her out in the uh, third round. That was pretty exciting. That's when I changed Made History. That is pretty exciting, and that is history-making. What a feeling that must have been. I can't even describe it, Joseph. I mean, it was, uh, it was something that I never expected, but uh, it happened. It was just an unbelievable, just a phenomenal feeling. That's the only thing that I can say. I'll never forget it. Please share your experience with us working with Will Smith on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You didn't knock him out. Oh, uh, yeah, I did knock Will out. You know, I threw him around. I didn't <laughs> knock him out, but I threw him around a little bit. Yeah, uh, he and I, we, uh, I had known Will uh, back in Philadelphia uh, prior to him become, you know, coming to Los Angeles. But, uh, you know, we connected and uh, we worked together on the show, uh, Boxing Helena, for, uh, what, two weeks? So it really gave us a chance to bond, and then we uh, went ahead and produced the show, and it was pretty fun working the uh, gym scene with him and uh, Alonzo. It was cool. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Chester, Pennsylvania, Fairground Projects. Yeah, in Chester, PA. Absolutely. How did you discover that you wanted to be a kickboxer? Well, that's a very good question. I, it, it happened by, let's say, accident. And I wouldn't even say accident, but... Uh, I grew up in the fairground projects, and uh, in fact, I wrote a book, but, um, you know, I was bullied a lot as a young kid, real young and uh, skinny, and, uh, you know, I, got, I was running a lot from them, but uh, to make a long story short, my uncle, he had, uh, he was a master in a martial arts school called Quiet Storm, and he came and got me, he heard that I was being bullied, he came and got me, and he said, listen, we're going to uh, take you to the martial arts school, and we're going to build your self-confidence and self-esteem. You know, and I want to know what does what does that mean? Self confidence. What does self esteem mean? You know, so you know, he gave me a dictionary. Found out self confidence is freedom from doubt. You know, believing yourself and your abilities. Okay, so that was pretty cool to focus on while working on the techniques. But uh, yeah, that's how it all came about. Um, building self confidence, and then next thing I know, I'm sparring with all these guys and. And at a very young age, and, and they made me really, really, really good. They really made me really, really good. As a young woman entering combat sports back in that era, what were some of the challenges you faced? Some of the challenges that during that era, I think, uh, well, geez, in karate I fought a lot, but in kickboxing, um, you know, I fought a lot as well. You know, um, I, I think basically just being a black female and a uh, male-dominated sport, mixed martial arts, was uh, one of the uh, challenges that I had encountered. But it gave me the opportunity to break color barriers. And not only that, but, you know, training with the guys uh, all the time it all, and being the only female, uh, it also gave me the opportunity to become number one in the world. And you just remarked, you said a black female in that era. So was it enough of a challenge to be a female, but was it additionally a challenge because you were a black female? 
Yeah, yeah, it was. I didn't think so, but, uh, you know, because I don't think that way, um, because my grandma, my great-grandma, she's uh, Caucasian, but um, it just happens, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's it. And it's pretty cool because um, also breaking color barriers, Joseph, it gave me the opportunity to be the first, to open up doors for young African-American, young African-American men and females and others, of course, and let them know that, you know, it can be done. It can be done. That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So, Fridia, we're going to get to present time in a moment, but this is just great stuff. Take us back to your very first, your very first kickboxing match. Walk us through the experience, the emotions, <laughs> the, excite, the excitement. What was that like? Well, okay, yeah, I'll never forget that. Jeez, Louise, uh, I was in the locker room, and all of a sudden, something swarmed over me. I don't know if it was energy, nerves, or whatever, but uh, I. Uh, <laughs> just remember entering and uh, don't remember anything after that but leaving. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm telling you, I'm, <laughs> but I saw photos. That's it. I just literally, I don't know. But that was my very first kickboxing experience ever. What was the outcome? The outcome? Oh, I won. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good, because it kind of sounded like you got knocked out the way you described it, but I didn't no, think no, you had, no. so I had to ask. Keep in mind, Joseph, keep in mind, one, my record was 16-0 and 0 with one draw, and one draw was against a guy, but it was 16-0 with 15 knockouts, okay? So that's how, you know, remember, I did beat the most dangerous woman in the world. Remember that, okay? So you don't earn those kind of titles by losing. <laughs> no, you don't. Do you uh, prefer kickboxing or boxing? I prefer kickboxing, reason being, and I prefer kickboxing today, you know, mixed martial arts. I'm a mixed martial artist, period. It is what it is compared to boxing. Mixed martial arts, it makes perfect sense. When we're in war, when we're combating, why should we only use two weapons? When we're combating, we are supposed to use all of our weapons. That makes sense? That makes perfect sense. Have you ever had to use your fighting skills in the street? Yeah, I have. And, you know, what's interesting, I never, ever start anything. You know, I don't. Um, but, you know, there has come a few times where I had to, you know, close it, shut shut it down. Um, yes, I did, you know, at a club. I'll never forget my buddy and I, Shuki Rosenberg. We were at this party watching this band, and, um, you know, someone came along, a group of uh, girls uh, uh, came along, and I caught myself stepping aside to allow them to go ahead and pass by, and one of them took my seat. <laughs> Uh-oh, bad move. I know, that's what Shuki said. I was like, excuse me. She was like, not anymore, not your seat anymore. Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, oh, boy. Uh, Wait, what is it if these street brawls start from the pettiest things? Yeah, I know. It's unfortunate. It you is. Know? But, you know, and what, it, what gets me is, like, for example, Joe, you're a martial arts yourself. Yes. If people know that you are a tough behind, you are tough, you, you are a deadly weapon, why would you want to test somebody you know that you, you can't beat? Like, for example, Mike Tyson, you, me. Yep, silly. You, just ha- you have people out there who just want to test you. So let's change direction for a moment. Let's talk about your radio show. Okay. Well, yeah, it is in Los Angeles. It's, uh, I just launched a radio show. It's called The World of Sports with che- Sports and Entertainment with Cheetah. And basically, you know, it's, uh, it's geared toward uh, uh, athletes, obviously, sports and, and various different sports, not just mar- uh, martial arts, but, I mean, boxing and, uh, you know, boxing and, and golf and track and field and you know, wrestling and different things like that. So I just wanted to be just sports in general. But uh, it's, it's great to be able to interview, you know, these young kids growing up, this new breed of hustlers growing up and, and uh, about to step into the championship world and also to interview the champions who are in the world and, uh, you know, are, are just able to become role models and, and uh, leaders for these uh, up-and-coming stars, you know. And Fridia, you've got video. So first of all, do you have a website for the show? Uh, yeah, I do have a, uh, well, my um, Twitter page and my uh, Facebook page at this particular point in time, that's the website for the show. Okay. It's uh, World of Sports um, with, uh, yes, World of Sports with Cheetah. World of and Sports with the, Cheetah. Uh, that's, that, that's the Facebook page there. What's okay. That? And then you have video on YouTube as well, I believe, don't you? Or, or you that's have correct. video feeds from your show? World of Sports with uh, 
uh, Cheetah, Freedia Gibbs, yeah, on YouTube. That's where we are. Yep. Okay, so World of Sports with Cheetah. Look for it on YouTube as well. Freedia, I understand that you were inducted into a Hall of Fame recently. Would you share that with us? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, absolutely. My, um, in my hometown, uh, Chester, PA, okay. 2016 Hall of Fame. Um, my four, the 440 relay team at my uh, hometown, my high school, we had uh, broke a track and field record that stood for 108 years at Penn Relays. And uh, I don't know if you are aware of Penn Relays, but Penn no. Relays is, is you got to Google it. It's a, a place where all the great uh, runners in the world come together in Philadelphia. They have them in each state. Come together in Philadelphia, and, they, and we compete against each other. But uh, so this was really something uh, unbelievable, the magnitude. We didn't even realize the magnitude until years later. But uh, we broke a record that stood for 108 years at Penn Relays, and we won gold medals. And um, they inducted us yesterday in Conquerville, uh, Pennsylvania, into the Hall of Fame, in addition to the other girls on the team. So that was uh, pretty cool. Chester High School Hall of Fame uh, athletic program. That was really nice of them. Congratulations. That is really nice of them and well-deserved. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. No doubt. I appreciate that. Fridia, has being a fighter affected your romantic relationships? Um, you can sort of, con- not really, you know, being an athlete, you can get what you want, when you want, how you want it. You know, it's just real easy. Things are accessible. And did you ever go through an ego phase where you let the victories go to your head or where you were humbled or did you always maintain your humility through your fight career? Yeah, I've, um, I've always maintained my humility, uh, the majority, at least 99.9% of the time, but I have had an opportunity to uh, uh, have a couple wake-up calls. <laughs> and I'll never forbid, forget, it was uh, Yvonne Trevino. For some reason, uh, we were fighting in kickboxing in uh, Simi Valley. And for some reason, oh, yeah, that was my fight before Valerie Henning. So I was really fired up, and, and I was all in her face talking stuff, and she just stood and looked at me. And uh, she almost knocked me out in the first round. I tell you, I was, and she really beat me up at that first round. That was a real wake-up call. That was a wake-up call, after, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. After that fight, Joseph, I was, I, I've always been humble, and it's always the best way because you never know. <laughs> Fridia, did you experience many injuries throughout your career? Yeah, yeah, I did in boxing. More so in boxing where I encountered the injuries and primarily with my hands because is that you right? Use your, you can't mix it up, hands and feet, hands and feet, and knees and elbows. So you're constantly injuring your hands. So yeah, in boxing, I had a fight against Samaya Nani. And Samaya Nani is one of the girls who de- destroyed Christy Martin. She beat the mess out of Christy Martin. And I fought uh, Samaya. And Samaya put a couple girls in comas too, Joseph, just so you know. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, for real. But uh, she and I, we fought on ESPN. I had injured my thumb, my hands uh, prior to the uh, show. I should not have taken a show. Uh, that would have been a better executive decision, but I did it because I had already committed and I didn't want to let anybody down. Sure. Maya and I, we fought, and I punched her one time. Everything got black, and that was it. I just decided to call the fight off. But yes, yes. Do you have any advice for our listeners on how to train through the injuries or heal you know, without losing their edge? The best advice that I could give is, one, if you're injured, take care of the injury and focus on conditioning. And, um, you know, allow that injury to, you know, be at least 100%. Do not go into a fight injured, period. Never, ever. It's worth postponing it and going in there 100% than taking it and making a fool out of yourself, period. What have you learned inside the ring that you've used in everyday life? There's this quote that I learned, I uh, borrowed from my class president back in, uh, her name is Deshanta Phillips, but she used to always say, and it just stuck in my head, and, and now it's stuck in my soul. It's, if someone says it can't be done, smile and then reply. Maybe it can't, but I won't be the one to say so until I've tried. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Fridia, we're coming up to the top of the hour, so I have one more question before we 
close off and wrap up, would you please share an example of an especially challenging experience which you had to persevere through and what was learned? Oh, geez, man. Uh, that all started with childhood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, just being in, in the household with uh, uh, my mom and my dad uh, and his infidelity and me witnessing that. And uh, uh, I'm sorry. You know, being able to overcome that and uh, move on, you know, that was a challenge within itself. That was a challenge within itself. Fridia, we have arrived at the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on your fight career and accomplishments, and I wish you continued success with your radio show. Thank you very much, Joseph, and I wish you the best as well. Take care. Peace, love, and happiness, everyone. Thanks for listening. Fridia amassed a kickboxing record of 16 wins, zero losses, one draw, with 15 knockouts. In fact, her only draw came from an exhibition fight with a male opponent. In 1997, Fridia moved on to the world of professional boxing, in which she achieved a record of nine wins, two losses, one draw. You have been listening to my interview with Fridia Gibbs. This is Olivier Gruner. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Welcome to our new web marketing affiliates, Everlast, Century Martial Arts, MMA Warehouse, and UFC Store. Check them out at our website at mawradio.com. Our interview with Action Cinema Fight Coordinator and Weapons Expert Anthony DeLongis is brought to you by Ketone Specialist Regan Bremersch. Keto OS is leading a modern health revolution through therapeutic ketone technology. Mix this great natural 100% bio-identical ketone powder into a 16-ounce bottle of cold water for a great-tasting drink for peak performance. Within 15 to 30 minutes, you'll be in the optimal training and fight state of ketosis. He doesn't just say it can do it, he can prove it. For more information, contact Regan at 1-204-522-0733. Again, he can be texted or called at 1-204-522-0733 or visit proveittoday.ca. That's P-R-U-V-I-T, number 2, D-A-Y, dot C-A. Our next guest has an incredibly extensive resume. Martial artist, weapons expert, cinema fight choreographer, director. As an actor, Anthony DeLongis has had roles in Star Trek Voyager, Battlestar Galactica, Highlander the Series, MacGyver, and in films such as Masters of the Universe, Roadhouse, The Sword and the Sorcerer, and many others. He played a swordsman opposite Jet Li in the film Fearless. He gave Harrison Ford extensive bullwhip training for his role as Indiana Jones and to Michelle Pfeiffer for her role as Catwoman. He has worked with Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Charlton Heston, Tim Burton, Ron Howard, and the list goes on. Anthony, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Thank you, Joseph. Now, Anthony, I'm going to begin by looking through some highlights of your resume. Mythbusters helped teach Adam and Jamie how to use a bullwhip to test the Indiana Jones myths. That must have been fun. Oh, it was a good time. Uh, you know, the Indiana Jones um, stories had inspired all of us, um, you know, particularly Jamie and I. And uh, Jamie had all, uh, for a long time wanted to do this, and he made his own bullwhip. Actually, he called me up and said, could we do this? Could you swing on a whip? And I said, well, not my whip. But uh, he had gone to uh, meet David Morgan, who had made whips for the previous uh, films, and learned how to make one, and he uh, had uh, put together quite a good one. And then they had me in to check and see, could you really disarm somebody with, you know, a bullwhip? And yes, could you really, you know, wrap that around a tree and swing on it? Would it support your weight? If you throw it right, you can get the whip to lock, and yes, it will support your weight. And, uh, you know, they and they had me back to do some uh, high skills accuracy stuff. Like one of the producers held a wine glass and I cut through it with the whip. Uh, the tip of the whip goes 768 miles per hour. Uh, wow. And made tools to break the sound barrier. It dates to 3000 BC in both the Chinese and Egyptian culture. So it's been one of my passions for a long time. Deadliest Warrior in 2009, member of Team William Wallace. Tell us about that. <laughs> uh, my buddy, uh, Dave Baker, who is now starring on uh, Forged and Fire. Uh, the good-looking judge in, uh, with the mustache and the, and the vest. He's a very fine smith. 
uh, former actor who became a wonderful weapons maker. He's been making weapons for me for, oh, golly, probably a good 25 years. Um, he uh, took over at the, in the beginning of season one and then was the weapons master for season two and season three. He was making all the uh, historical weapons, many of which hadn't been out seen outside of a museum in hundreds of years. And um, I was uh, the guest expert for the William Wallace. Uh, they were they were starting to work with some pretty dangerous weaponry, and they could see the hazards of it. So they went, "We better have somebody who knows what they're doing." And the Wallace sword's over four feet long. It was razor sharp on both sides. Uh, one of the things I'm proud of it's on my uh, website, which is myname.com, Delongis.com. Uh, on the Swordmaster section, you'll see me cut through uh, its three heads that are mounted on pork loin. And before the test, I said to Dave, how many of these do we have? And he said one. So basically, failure wasn't an option, and I had to be sure to be able to execute. And then in season two and season three, my horses were the sharp weapons test horses. Basically, I would I'd rehearse the horses to do what they were going to have to do on set and make sure that the, um, you know, the performers were going to be up to the task where they didn't get to ride my horses with sharp weapons. And so I got to continue to contribute with the show. It was a lot of fun. Anthony Roadhouse, you worked with Patrick Swayze in, I believe, Benny the Jet Yurkidas, correct? Yes, I did. Uh, well, Benny is, of course, a legend, and rightly so. He is. Uh, you know, a, a master in the ring. Uh, he uh, was uh, tapped uh, to uh, uh, train Patrick. And uh, Patrick being a dancer, Benny was very smart. He trained him to music. And uh, then Patrick and I, we got to face off uh, three, four times in the film, three of which make it into the film. Uh, there's one whole fight going on while Sam Elliott is fighting uh, Marshall Teague, uh, where I'm fighting Patrick right next to Ben Gazzara. But I guess they thought that I'd gotten my butt kicked enough, so uh, only three of my four fights made it into the film. And the movie The Sword and the Sorcerer, 1982, a barbaric medieval type of film. I remember it. I was amazed when well, I saw that you were in that. Thank you. Yeah, um, a lot of people are. Uh, it was my last ingenue. I think I was 32 at the time. Please don't do the math. And um, I had a good time. I uh, uh, They gave me a stick to work with, but uh, at that point I had had, oh, I don't know, uh, well over a decade of fencing training and uh, also um, I was uh, taekwondo uh, only when I did uh, Circle of Iron with uh, David Carradine I was a brown belt and then uh, you know I moved on up to red belt before going on to train with uh, Gurdan and Asanto for over a decade and you have worked with Harrison Ford Jet Li, Michelle Pfeiffer, Charlton Heston Ron Howard, Bo Derrick give me some more stars you've worked with well, let's see. Um, Richard Chamberlain, uh, I did his Cyrano de Bergerac. Mm-hmm. Got me my equity card uh, back in '74. I trained him. Uh, he did a he did a great job. Uh, I played the Vicomte de there where they have the dual famous duel and rhyme that opens the play, and basically gives Cyrano his credibility as a swordsman. Uh, some of I'm very proud of that piece of choreography. And fun thing was, we uh, we went 11 weeks. He uh, had one little bobble in an early. Uh, uh, pre-opening performance and then was just nailed it every night and then a year went by and he called me up and there used to be a show called the Dinosaur Show he said I'm going to be on that can we put you in the audience and you'll come up and I'll pretend to teach you fencing and you know and uh, he did and then we launched into our you know very exciting finale uh, with the kill and <laughs> he, I, I hadn't seen him in a year and in about 15 minutes of rehearsal he remembered everything I thought of him Great. He remembered it all. Did uh, he? I worked with Christian Kane as well. Uh, Christian, it was Secondhand Lions, a movie I'm very proud of. I did all the flashback sword action for that. They wanted to have a Technicolor, you know, Mark of Zorro, Robin Hood sort of feel to it. I can do that. And uh, Christian Kane played the young Robert Duvall in all the flashback scenes. So I trained him, and uh, he did a terrific job in the film. And then about uh, two years later, he was starring on a show called uh, Leverage, and they wanted to um, give his character, uh, he was going to be introduced as the muscle, you know, and they needed uh, to show an opponent uh, 
Well, basically the story is we are so evenly matched, nobody can get an advantage. So we had this sequence in a location kitchen, so we couldn't break anything. And we did uh, double weapons, and he did a found weapon with a, you know, with a with a, you know, pan off of the stove to defend himself against the knife and the lever. And I had about 45 minutes to put that together, and it was a five-phrase fight. And we shot it as a master, start to finish every time, which very few people can do in this business. And uh, Christian did terrific. They actually cut it up to go into the show because they were having things happen simultaneously. But we shot it as a master every time. Anthony, what martial arts styles are you formally trained in? Well, uh, my first martial art was European fencing. And I had one of the greats, uh, Maestro Ralph Faulkner, who was a two-time Olympian. He was the sword master to the stars and did pictures like the original Prisoner of Zenda. Oh, the court jester and a long list of others. Uh, I trained with him for about a dozen years. Um, I trained with Master Young Gil Kim in uh, uh Korean Taekwondo, made it to a red belt level there, but it wasn't the best style for me. I was never that great a kicker, and uh, I felt like there were some holes in my in my martial arts. So uh, I had heard about Dan Inosanto and uh, went and sure. uh, started taking class with him that went on for nearly a dozen <clears throat> years. And the two great teachers in my life uh, to that point were Maestro Faulkner and Dan Inosanto, and they they have affected everything I've done ever since. They're with me. Because of them, I was able to create my unique whip system. What weapons are so you I, trained now, in? Now I'm studying uh, now I'm studying Shinkendo under Kaisen Toshishiro Obata, who is the founder of the system, and my sensei is Matthew Lynch. And I still continue with my European swordplay and continue to teach that too. So you're still training today? Oh, Always. Uh, I have a little mantra that kind of keeps me going. and say, if I'm not getting better, I'm just getting older. And there's only one of those I can do anything about. So uh, consider this a... <laughs> you and me both. Progress, although I've been doing bladed weapons some 44 years and counting. Yeah, what weapons are you a master in? Uh, well, the only one I would claim real mastery over is, uh, is the bullwhip. Because I... Um, I created a system that is unique, um, and that was because of my fencing background and because of my work with Dan Asanto with multiple angles. And I looked on the blade as a supersonic telescopic, I had the whip as a supersonic telescopic blade. Um, I couldn't find anybody to teach me, so I taught myself, and I went, everybody works way too hard. Um, the, the whip, goes 768 miles per hour it makes a big noise but that's where most people stop and i was looking at it for how can i be more efficient how can i be more accurate so i utilized the martial arts principles of minimal effort for maximum return a small amount of focused energy can produce explosive results and the whip is the perfect metaphor for that so i align the whip early and it forms a loop and my rolling lips rolling loop system actually stabs rather than slashes so my, I'm, I'm hitting at 700 miles plus per hour, mm-hmm. something that's the size of a quarter. So from long range, uh, I'm, well, <laughs> I'm uh, very formidable. And then medium range and close range, uh, you know, I also have options. Thanks again to my work with bladed weapons, European bladed weapons, and Japanese bladed weapons, and Filipino bladed weapons. And then close range, uh, it becomes like a baton. Uh, with a uh, submission uh, element to it, and uh, also, uh, you know, I can uh, uh, use it to tie people up with, too. So pretty much anything you've studied will find very eloquent voice in the whip if you learn to listen. And that's a lot of energy focused on a small area. Anthony? Well, it's also a lot of responsibility, and I take that very seriously. It is. It is. I, um, I... Well, one of the things I'm proudest of, again, it's on my uh, website. Uh, when I was on More Extreme Marksman, I actually cut targets out of my partner's hand, first on the ground, and then as we passed at full gallop in opposite directions with the tip of the whip. And to have a horse trust you that much, um, well, it, I, I take that responsibility very seriously, you know, for both my equine and my human partners. Now, Anthony, 
this goes by very, very quickly. We're coming up to our last three minutes here. You run a training facility on your ranch for those wishing to learn to improve their action hero skills. Tell us about that training facility. Well, people come from all over the country, all over the world, really, to uh, train with us there. I teach all the European weapons, um, broadsword, saber, rapier, rapier and dagger, small sword. I teach the Filipino double sticks and, uh, you know, double-bladed weapons. I teach knife fighting and throwing. I'm in the Black Belt Hall of Fame. I'm in the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. I'm in the Knife Throwers Hall of Fame as well. And then I teach whip, of course, and I teach work on horseback. And we have archery and knife and tomahawk throwing. We get the, uh, I just had my student from Paris for his fourth time coming back to train with me. And uh, we have the Australian Sun Academy in for nine years in a row. Uh, so I, I get everybody from um, professional martial artists to professional performers to people who just want to try an adventure. And we welcome everybody. Anthony, the URL to your website is what? www.delongis.com D-E-L-O-N-G-I-S.com And Anthony, we must wrap up. I thank you for an intriguing interview. Just scratching the surface. We hope you will come back. We should get you and Richard Norton on on the same night, although I don't know if we'd have enough time. But I sincerely hope you'll join us again. It would be fun. Uh, There's a lot of things I can talk about that um, I think your martial arts listeners will be very interested. Well, we and we're very interested in having you back. Thanks again for your time today. My pleasure, and uh, thank you all, and please come visit the website. Let us hear from you. In 2008, Anthony was recognized by Black Belt Magazine as Weapon Instructor of the Year. He has also been recognized by the International Knife Throwers Hall of Fame with a Lifetime Achievement Award. In fact, I encourage you to visit his website at thelongest.com. His body of work is beyond extraordinary. This has been my interview with action cinema fight coordinator, actor, director, and weapons expert, Anthony DeLongis. Be sure to check us out at mawradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. I'm Joseph Clark, and I wish you safe travels. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.